welcome back to Night Cheese. I'm Steven. And I'm Tim. And uh, thank you for joining us again this week. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our um, dig into the archives uh, last week for our episode on The Shining and Better Call Saul. That was um, <clears throat> recorded a long time ago now. Yeah, that was, a, uh, that was an old one. <laughs> like six months ago now, which, which feels like a decade. Yeah, it does. It uh, literally was recorded, I think, the week after. Uh, the, the reason I was so excited about Better Call Saul is I think the, the, the previous season had just ended. I guess season mm. six. Oh, gosh, five or six. Oh, I, I'm, you know, it's, yeah, it's been decades since then. <laughs> but um, so that's why I, it was kind of fresh at that time. Like, I was just ready to go. I was really excited about that one. But, yeah, now, man, that was so long ago. Yeah, I'd... Um... Yeah, it was my my first time seeing The Shining then, and so um, we had we had meant to get around to to posting that episode mm-hmm. for a while, yeah. uh, and then we just just kept doing other things, and then um, we had asked you listeners if you were interested in um, su- you know suggesting some um, horror films for the month of October. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Shining was one of the ones that one of the first ones to get nominated by multiple people, and uh, lo and behold, we already had one ready to go. So yeah, we perfect. wanted to make sure we uh, had good timing to bring that out. So there we did. Um, so tonight we actually have another um, another nominated film, uh, and we actually have a pairing. Um, we oh. had initially thought that this would just be a one film episode, but what we're uh, doing is actually pairing a second film with it. These two films are, um, related in a few ways, uh, between directors and plots and mm-hmm. similarities, their impact on film. Um, so to this week's episode, we're titling mother boy 60, which, um, by the end of the episodes, we'll make sense to some of you and some of you. Well, it's okay. It's, it's okay. Um, sometimes I really, I really title these episodes just for my own enjoyment. Um, so it's okay if you don't track with that. It's fine. So um, we're going to just get right to it. The first film we want to discuss uh, tonight. And I think it, at some point, Tim, we'll probably... After we get done with the first film and get into the second one, I imagine at some point we'll just start interweaving between one film and the other because there are some similarities and differences Mm -hmm. and stuff, and they're both pretty heavy impact um, on on the genre. Um, So the first film, it's uh, it it shouldn't be um, obscure to anybody who uh, who um, fancies themselves a horror film fan. Um, It is a pioneer and the horror film genre uh, famous for many things and um, let's get right to it it's from 1960 it is alfred hitchcock's psycho um so psycho it is um so first of all um first time i watched it from beginning to end was for this episode um yeah being born in the early 80s i mean it was well entrenched in popular Mm -hmm. culture uh, by the time i was born so i was certainly aware of a lot of what it was uh but never actually sat down and watched the whole thing um this was nominated by a member of my family (laughs) uh to my (laughs) surprise um and so uh anyway yeah directed by alfred hitchcock the legendary alfred hitchcock arguably his most famous film Mm um i'd say i mean arguably it, it probably is um yeah and uh, accolades uh, everywhere. So it, it's uh, on IMDb. It's its score is eight point five. It's a uh, it's meta its Metacritic score is ninety seven, uh, which for Metacritic is is really high. Yeah, um, and yeah. then it's it's got a pretty 
Um, it's got a pretty balanced Rotten Tomatoes score as well. The uh, critics give it a 96 and users give it a 95. So it's uh-huh. uh, it's it's, uh, it's top billing all over the place. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's really well done. Um, it was also nominated for multiple Oscars, yeah. um, which I, I, I didn't know that at the time. I certainly thought there were some things that should have been nominated. Um, but uh, Janet Lee um, was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. She did win the Golden Globe for it, but did not win the Oscar for it. Um, and actually, I'm not sure that it actually won any Academy Award that it was nominated for, but it was nominated so. for Supporting Actress. Uh, Hitchcock was nominated for Best Director, um, which I, I'm, he lost to Billy Wilder for The Apartment. Um, and, uh, also nominated for best cinematography, black and white. Apparently cinematography used to be in two different categories for color and for black and white. Um, and then it was also nominated for best art direction. Um, one, uh, glaring omission, I think at least is that it was not nominated for best original score. Yeah. Um, the the music was not nominated at all. Seems to be an afterthought in terms of, uh, award categories. And that might be the most enduring thing about this film. Yeah. Is that the most recognizable score I think in cinema? Maybe possibly. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like this school, people that haven't even seen psycho, I feel like still know the sc- that I mean just the the shower yeah. score I mean that's that's almost like this universally known thing even if someone hasn't seen the film it's so just so obvious I don't know yeah it's just so endearing I think I think between that and Jaws you mm-hmm. probably have the two most yeah. recognizable oh, cinema yeah. themes yeah. of all time yep. I mean obviously there are dozens and dozens and just scores of famous uh, movie scores but I think those two things uh, between the you know the high pitched shrieking sound of yeah. psycho and then the very lull you know dull dull mm. dum, you know I, you, yeah. you know what's coming uh yeah. and in either of those um mm-hmm. without having had to see either of the films yeah <laughs> so um uh yeah so anyway the uh sh- small cast um janet lee anthony perkins um a couple of others who i did not write down my apologies <laughs> No, same here. <laughs> but Janet Lee and Anthony Perkins really kind of carry the uh, carry the film, yeah. um, for the most part. So mm-hmm. this is a uh, I, I I don't know, you know, f- from our listenership, I, I would assume that most of you have seen this already, mm-hmm. um, and if not, at least you have a pretty deep familiarity with it. Um, yeah. But nevertheless, I mean, what we do, you know, on the show, we kind of get into it a little bit and and talk about it and and. So, so we'll do that. But, um, so it's, I I will say, you know, from my first viewing, I wasn't, I I knew, you know, I'd say probably like the second half of the movie, basically. I I, I didn't know much about the setup and the Mm -hmm. exposition, which is like, uh, you know, Janet Lee is, um, dating this, is he a married man or was he going to be divorced or something? I forget. But anyway, it it was about his ex-wife. Or some, or, yeah, so you know, they so were divorced. Like yeah, he didn't have any money or something like that. Like he was, mm-hmm. he was pretty poor, and they wanted to run away together. It was all treated very scandalous, you know, yeah. because I mean, yeah. it was 1960. It's black, mm-hmm. and the film is black and white. It's very old fashioned, mm-hmm. I'd say, in its morality. Which yeah. I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing, but I think that some of the things you see in the film that I would assume are to be taken as moral failures. Yeah. 
Um, well, we've, we've just gotten a master class in moral failures for the past four years, but I mean, so it's, it's kind of relatively speaking, but, but, um, we, um, uh, here, you know, is certain things happen and, and Janet Lee comes into the possession of about $40,000, which is, you know, for adjusted for inflation, you know, like six figures or so, I think, um, and decides to run away with the money. <laughs> um, and so she is, she's attempting to uh, get to, to her uh, lover and mm-hmm. to start a new life. And of course uh, she, I will say this, like one thing I think that was really well done is just sort of the, the way this film builds tension. Yeah. Um, because the uh the 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 early few scenes of the film every i think horror film is kind of ordinary in the beginning usually Mm -hmm. yeah um unless it's one of those horror films that has like a scare scene as sort of Mm -hmm. a cold open yeah um but but for the ones that don't the first few minutes are usually frighteningly ordinary (laughs) and that nothing is happening yeah it's just to kind of kind of calm you down Mm -hmm. and let you let your guard down before something terrible happens um but it really feels like they drag this out, but not in yeah. a bad way. Like it, it almost feels kind of like a caper, you know, like yeah, almost like it, a thriller might be too strong of a word, but yeah, almost, yeah. I was about to say leaning towards thriller. Yeah, like, yeah. She is, um, like she immediately. It, it seems as though Janet Lee's character immediately feels some sort of guilt mm-hmm. for taking the money, not enough yeah. to turn it back in, yeah. but. Um, <laughs> you know, enough to keep looking over her shoulder. And so there are these scenes like she pulls up to an intersection when she's trying to leave town and, you know, people are walking in front of her in the, in the road and the crosswalk and the intersection. And she sees, I think like her boss mm-hmm. or, um, yeah. walk by and he kind of like gives sort of a double take look and you can mm-hmm. just see like the panic in her eyes. Yeah. And, uh, Bernard Herman, man, we'll, we'll spend some time talking about the score. I think it, it, it Mm-hmm. here throughout the episode but um what he does there in those moments yeah. too really builds this sort of dread and intensity mm-hmm. and she um she gets pulled over by a police officer on her way out of town and like she is just uh got an immensely guilty conscience like mm-hmm. she's just she's so um so panicky yeah. uh to the point where she like switches out cars and like even the performance of like the police officer and stuff this year, he's got this real like Terminator two vibe, like <laughs> just like yeah, you know, yeah. stare down behind his aviator glasses. And <laughs> it's really uh, kind of freaky. And so mm. anyway, um, you know, one scene that really um, stressed me out was um, right before she arrives at the <gasps> Bates motel. Mm, yes they have this shot so she you know it's pouring down rain it's in the middle of the night and she is kind of off the beaten path um she i, I can't re- I, I honestly can't remember if she took a wrong turn or if she's intentionally taking some sort of back way to try to mm-hmm. um lose any tails she has yeah but um there's this shot of like the driver's seat in the rain just like pouring on the windshield mm-hmm. as she's driving and you can see the cars coming at her, you know, in the passing lane um, and the, and the other lane of traffic and the windshield wipers going so fast. And it's like, I've taken a lot of trips between North Carolina and Georgia and bad weather. Oh man. And stuff. 
And like, I could feel the muscles in my arms and forearms just starting to like tense just watching that. Cause I was like, Oh gosh, like when it's late at night and the weather's terrible and you can't see anything and you're just like praying for it all to stop mm-hmm. and you know, just let up a little bit. So you feel yeah. like, feel comfortable enough to breathe. And, um, and I'm just sitting here thinking like, and then she finally decides to pull off the road. And it's funny cause she's only like, you find out she's only like 10 to 15 miles away from the destination she's trying to get to anyways. Oh, <laughs> um, but she would never leave. Um, mm-hmm. so it's, um, yeah, it's, it is, um, oh gosh, you know, that's, that's where she runs afoul of Norman Bates and, um, who, which by the way, like Anthony Perkins, what a performance. Yeah. Well, um, because I remember being impressed back when I saw it, you know, years ago, but, but now just the, this might've been, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't say that, you know, I don't have this exhaustive, uh, grasp of film, but one, it feels like one of an, an early time where the villain, the murderer is not some obviously evil person. Yeah. I mean, he's, He's the opposite. He's he very kind, mild mannered. Yeah, with an incredibly friendly disposition. Yeah, I mean, sure, yeah. just and that socially awkward, sort of cautious. That you know, someone you would just never expect. And I really loved that. That's how he was presented. He wasn't presented as some guy you just shouldn't trust immediately. That he he was very you know very warm and um, amicable and just a just a friendly person. And oh man, what a uh, yeah, what a role. Well, I would say yeah on the on the forefront. Of all the male characters in the film, yeah, he was probably the least threatening mm-hmm. out of everybody. Yeah, and he was the only one who actually had a sinister motive. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, just really, yeah, just another oh, great man. job of Hitchcock kind of turning things on its ear. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just great, great storytelling, and um, the way, yeah, the way he tends to sort of flip. Like, there's this scene where they're in the hotel and they're having uh, dinner together. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, they start talking about his mother and she says, she, she asks him something to the effect of like, you know, would you put her in a home or, you know, something like that, or, you know, just kind of shirking the responsibility of having to look after her. Yeah. And, the way his eyes kind of just freeze at that moment, his body kind of tenses up and his whole demeanor. Like it's not, it's not like he, it's not like he appears to be sinister in that moment, but when he, you can tell there's a change, like, mm-hmm. especially going back and like knowing what will happen or something, yeah. you know, it's a yeah. real change in his demeanor. Um, which well, is, he, he kind of leans forward and the, Whatever he says, I think he's just motionless as he speaks and just so kind of frozen. It, yeah, it was. It, it, it's not huge thing, but just just kind of subtle, just creepy enough to where you know some like she's she's touched on something that she maybe shouldn't have, you know. And and um, oh man, just little things, but it really really amplified the I don't know, just the suspense, and uh, it was it was it was chilling. Yeah, there's um there's a real subtlety to his performance mm-hmm. for sure. Um, so um just a few background things like so this was um this was probably one at least as far as American films go. I hope this isn't making too much noise. Best to making the microphone adjustment. Sorry. <laughs> um, 
as far as American films go, this was probably one of the first, at least the first of a high profile variety that um, was very heavy on, you know, like spoiler alerts. Um, so yeah. uh, Hitchcock famously would not allow people into the theater mm -hmm. or ask theaters not to admit anyone after the film had started. Mm -hmm. um, and they even had like, almost like airport announcements in the theater of like 10 minutes to psycho five wow. minutes to second and all this other stuff to try to really get people in and, and try to control, um, the delivery mm. of the story to people. Yeah. And, um, even I've even seen to this day, like cutouts of Hitchcock with this, like, you know, finger over his mouth. Yeah. Like the don't, don't tell people. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, even, um, when, um, Hitchcock bought the, the rights to the film for very, for very cheap, um, because it was it's based on a book, and when he bought the rights, he bought it anonymously, so that way they would you know he could get it for pretty cheap. Um, but <laughs> when he did that, and when thing they got the go ahead to make the film, he had he tried to get either one person or like an assistant or someone to go and try and buy as many of the books as possible, so people wouldn't know <laughs> wouldn't know the ending at, you know because of reading the book. So, so he good. they were trying yeah. so hard to keep yeah to keep it under wraps. Well, and what's so funny is that so Paramount Pictures, um, you know, uh, mm -hmm. the distributor for them, um, not optimistic yeah. about Psycho's <laughs> um, Psycho's potential. So they gave Hitchcock a, Hitchcock a very small budget to work with because uh, they they did not care for the source material at yeah. all. Um, so um, they also deferred most of the box office to Hitchcock because they mm -hmm. Hitchcock because they thought the movie would fail. Yeah, uh, and yet Hitchcock, Hitchcock, excuse me, that's going to be a it's going to be a long night. <laughs> um, makes a fortune. Yeah, off, off this he, film. Yeah, in order to appease Paramount, he offered. I mean, he he he. Um, what's the word for good? He he deferred to defer. Yeah, he did not. You know, take his usual. Like he he directed it for free. But I guess, yeah, like we said, with like 60% of the rights, the, the or the, what's the word? 60% I mean, of the gross. Yes, there uh, we go. Yeah. Box um, and even like he even offered to like use his, the, his crew that would, that produced the television series, his television series at the time. Like he did so much to get them to finally buy in. But then in the end, it just ended up paying off so much for, for yeah. Hitchcock. It says here that, you know, his out of that 60% of the gross that he got, um, he ended up making $15 million from the film, uh, in 1960. So like yeah. adjusted for inflation in 2016, that would have been $120 million that he just would have made personally, yeah. not what the film made. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he really, that's some like, uh, that's some George Lucas level, <laughs> uh, trolling for those of you who don't understand that <laughs> reference. The, studio also thought star wars was going to fail um so mm -hmm. george lucas uh very slyly and appropriately um kept all merchandising rights for star wars so every star wars oh, toy that made money went in lucas's pocket um wow. so that's why he is rich enough to ruin anybody's childhood that he wants to <laughs> so good for him yeah um so yeah let's talk a little bit about bernard herman uh the composer oh, for this film so uh fun fact the entire um score is only used with stringed mm, instruments yeah. um nothing else which i mean obviously you hear that that especially that shower scene mm -hmm. uh theme um you obviously hear it there um speaking of money uh before um alfred hitchcock was so pleased with the score 
that he doubled Herman's salary. Um, oh, wow. He later said a third of the effect of Psycho was due to the music, which yeah. I think is pretty, pretty generous. Um, <laughs> and um, it was pretty, pretty, pretty wild. Um, the, the, like we said, it's, the score is just so iconic. Um, and it is a, <sighs> I mean, yeah, it's it, maybe, like we said, maybe the most memorable film score uh, in history, um, especially at least identifiable outside of the film. Um, just pretty, pretty, pretty crazy stuff. I'm sorry. I was just looking for, for other things. So, um, what's interesting about this film too, uh, for those of you who are not fully, um, fully educated on sort of the history of Hitchcock. I mean, like he's got a lot of famous films, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, he had already done, uh, some of his more famous films, um, prior to psycho. Mm -hmm. Um, so this movie was made largely in part to the fact that he was fed up with big budget star studded movies. He had just gotten done making North by Northwest, mm. which was his, I think his most expensive film. Which I always, I always forget just because, you know, psycho, he chose to, to shoot it in black and white. And so I always get those flipped, even though, you know, I, I know that I know that he did North by Northwest first, but I always kind of forget just because of, Psycho just feels like an older film just because of that black and white, you know. Right. But it actually comes after his color films. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, this brings us into, I'm at least going to give a teaser. I don't don't know how deep we want to go. But one of the other things that happened was he was challenged, um, not not directly, but Mm -hmm. I think in the court of public opinion, Mm -hmm. um, by another, um, sorry, by another director, uh, a French director named uh, Henri Clouseau, who had ha- come out with this black and white film sensation in 1955, a few years prior to Psycho, called Diabolique. Um, and wouldn't you know it, uh, Night Cheese listeners, uh, Diabolique was actually also on our short list of films to discuss uh, <laughs> in another episode. And then once we got to Psycho, we realized how closely linked yeah. it was to Diabolique. So we're actually going to be talking about both mm-hmm. of those films tonight. See, yeah. see, we're just like Hitchcock. We're we're flipping the script halfway through the episode. Yeah. <laughs> you thought this was just going to be about one movie. And now, you know, no, I think we're I'm murdering the protagonist. And <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're going to be killing Tim in a couple of minutes yeah. as soon as he got in the shower. Um, yeah. But uh, I think I gave away all that in the beginning of the episode anyways. But um, yes, we are doing things just a little bit differently. So yeah. here's the thing. Diabolique comes out and people mm-hmm. were using the phrases like Clouseau out Hitchcock, Hitchcock, yeah. like and, and things like that. And Hitchcock. Wouldn't you know, didn't take that too well. Yeah. Which um, this might have been also added fuel to the fire, but he um Cluzo actually outbid Hitchcock for rights to Diabolique. So I think So yeah, Hitchcock wanted to go for that first yep, then. And yeah. got outbid. So, you know, Cluzo had it. And I think a cup a few things like that kind of added up and made yeah. uh Hitchcock wanna, you know, he wanted to step up his game and like reclaim that <laughs> I don't know, that mantle that uh I don't know. Yeah, the sort of king of the hill on this thing. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. So, you know, Hitchcock is top of the class here. Then Clouseau comes up, not only outbids him for Diabolique, Mm -hmm. makes Diabolique, makes it a hit. It is this small-scale black-and-white film Mm -hmm. when when Hitchcock is doing Vertigo and North by Northwest, which are Mm -hmm. all great films, of course. Uh, 
but these big budget things and like could you i'm gonna i know we just got done with the nolan stuff a couple months ago but you can imagine if nolan's like making you know inception and interstellar and stuff and all of a sudden somebody comes along with a memento and they're like oh man this is better than nolan you know (laughs) nolan's better than imagine Mm -hmm. nolan like going back to yeah memento after you know, mm-hmm. this kind of stuff or following or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of what's got, it's kind of what's going on here though. Like he's mm-hmm. like, I'm reducing down to this small scale, you know, kind of simple story because I yeah. do remember Vertigo and North by Northwest and those oh. plots were, I don't want to say convoluted, but you know, there was a lot going on. Yeah. And some of that you know, compared to psycho, it's a pretty straightforward story. Mm-hmm. I mean, so to speak. Um, but so anyway, so now, Hitchcock is now motivated to out Clouseau Clouseau. So he's like, Oh, you want to do a small scale black and white movie? Um, with, you know, this gritty, you know, subtext was like, well, I'll do that too. And I mean, they're both great films. Um, but I, I guess, and it could just be because we're, we're in America, but mm-hmm. I, I would say psycho has seemed to have land stuck the landing a little bit harder than Diablo mm-hmm. in terms of, in terms of the uh the memory of the public yeah um, yeah but um that's not taking anything away from diabolique i mean mm-hmm. also i think it just has a factor in the fact that that's a foreign film and mm-hmm. and um foreign films in general are are not as more widely accessible mm-hmm. to viewing audiences um but uh another reason that hitchcock shot the film in black and white because he was afraid it would be too gory um in color and so also wanted to keep the uh, um, <clears throat> wanted to keep the budget, you know, small, mm-hmm. uh, of course, as well. And uh, yeah. I have here it says that he also wondered if so many bad, inexpensively made black and white B movies did so well at the box office, what would happen if a really good, inexpensively made black and white movie was made? Oh, so. Wow. It's funny because I think about that. I read that sentence when we were prepping for the episode, Tim, and it did made me think of Nolan because when we were talking about Inception, it's like a really good blockbuster popcorn movie, you know? Mm. Uh, and I'm like, you know, I, I, I appreciate that mentality of like, yeah, I'm going to go to this uh, genre that has low expectations for performance because people come to see it for something else. Mm-hmm. Um and now I'm just going to give you something quality now, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I feel like when we get to the end of the month, if, if our, if our recording schedule comes up, we'll be having that conversation again with another director, but, um, one that's more recent these days. So, uh, anyway, um, the trailer for the film was six and a half minutes long. That's what's, uh, what's great is there was no footage of the film. <laughs> yeah. Is he, is he so just like great. walking around the hotel and stuff? It's like an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> like, it's, yes. He's like, I love he's like, rock stack walking around. Yeah. It's like, what happened in this room? It's, oh, it's so horrible. I just can't even, I can't even, I can't even tell you yeah. what it is. Oh, man. This bathroom. <laughs> oh, you wouldn't believe it. Oh, gosh. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> But it works. I mean, it it's you know I feel like it's something so few people could ever do. Like Hitchcock, maybe only Hitchcock. I I'm trying to think of other other directors that could pull that off. But Hitchcock could just do that so well. I mean that that was him. I mean yeah yeah. 
Well, and he had a lot of practice too. You talk about that show, Alfred yeah. Hitchcock Presents. It was yeah, it was work. like a Twilight Zone mm-hmm. um, or modern. You know, if we have any younger listeners who don't know what the Twilight Zone is, think like Black Mirror or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, yeah, he used to host a show like that that had little uh, sort of anthology vignettes of mm-hmm. people doing smaller stories, which Psycho actually almost was mm. an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. But um, thanks and thanks to Bernard Herrmann and uh, some other factors, he, he started to believe um, that this film was ca- this was more capable than being just an episodic uh, story, yeah. but, but a full on film. Yeah, it's so amazing how so like look so it's hard to talk about this movie like with fresh eyes, you know, like because yeah. there's so much. It's such a monument, you know, in cinema. It's such okay. a classic. So it's so interesting thinking like because the way we see it now, it's I mean, it's in my mind, it's like almost a perfect. Film. I mean, it's just so well executed. And when I think about that, so I think and not I don't know I don't know why I'm going back to Better Call Saul, but just thinking about a show like that that I think is also just almost perfectly executed. But it's got like this, but part of that execution is because everything behind it, the crew, everything is just, everybody knows what they're doing. Everybody was on board. It was a hit. But it's so amazing that Psycho was such a hit. And it was kind of, the the pre-production was kind of chaotic. You know, we already talked a little bit about how Paramount hated it or hated the idea of it. And there was just so, it's just crazy that even, even Hitchcock part of the way through wasn't confident. It wasn't, you know, wasn't sure about it i think that's just so amazing to have a film that that's that's close to perfect that yeah was kind of a kind of a mess kind of people just didn't didn't see that at the time didn't think that it was going to be that it was going to be that way you know be be this great of a film yeah i think watching this film with 2020 eyes Mm. uh no pun intended i just realized the vision the year (laughs) the year 2020 um Watching it from that perspective, you know, you're you're liable to do yourself a disservice um, because of all that has come since then. Um, but I think really, you know, we talk about um, um, gosh, I'm trying to think of the words now, but I'm sitting here trying to think of like, um, you know, like classes and seminary and stuff. Mm-hmm. We talk about like authorial intent and like like sort of cultural context of things when like when books of the Bible were written and stuff. But like mm-hmm. really, if you put yourself in the context of American culture or film culture, even at that mm-hmm. time in 1960 um, and someone of Hitchcock's caliber coming along and doing what he did, um, he broke so much ground in one film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's hard to quantify now uh, what 60 years yeah. later, um, but a couple of things. One, I did so. So I want to direct everybody. If you have a Hulu subscription, to go and watch a um, which, to be fair, uh, there's some thematic material because obviously, because the entire documentary is about the shower scene, uh, mm-hmm. and it's, it's called Seventy Eight Fifty Two, uh, Hitchcock's Shower Scene. It's a documentary on uh, Hulu um, that that talks to a dozen film directors uh, about psycho in general, but mainly about the iconic shower scene uh, where mm-hmm. Janet Lee's character is murdered in the shower. And um, they, they talk about its influence on other films and stuff. So really any of the kind of gratuitous stuff you see is in reference to other films that it has um, influenced in later years. Um, because we, we talked before we started recording, this is kind of the godfather of the slasher film genre. Like, um, in, in a way, I'm sure there probably are other 
films out there, but you know, you remember the ones that are most famous. And then mm-hmm. this is, and this is definitely that. Um, so I, all, all this to say, um, he, he breaks a lot of taboos in the film. And in that, do, in that documentary, they mentioned, they said it's the first time in film that you see a toilet flush. Um, yeah, I remember that. Which yeah. I remember, um, I, I just remember this too, uh, because it was a joke in, in like the, the, uh, reboot, uh, film, but the show, the Brady bunch, um, they had a, uh, they had like a nineties remake of it, um, with lots of people in it. And, and there was like, of like the modern, there was this kick in the mid nineties to revitalize all these Nick at night TV shows and put them mm-hmm. like, take all these people, all these families from these fifties and sixties, Nick, Nick at night shows or something and just plug them into the nineties. Um, and so like the Brady bunch were living like in this nineties LA neighborhood mm-hmm. and all the neighbors are complaining about them. And there's this line in the film where they're like, you know, there's a uh, nine people in that house, never seen one toilet. You know, and so I didn't find out until later that was a reference to standards and practices back when the show was on the air. You know, mm-hmm. they never really show a toilet in the in the uh, bathroom when they have any bathroom scenes. So the fact that Psycho does that like seems like such a little thing, yeah. but um, given that what came before it, which was nothing, uh, is it, kind of a big deal. And, and then the bigger point I wanted to make is something I respect so much is how viscerally terrifying that shower scene is and how vulnerable and horrific it is presented. Yeah. Um, but with the score and the shots and the framing and everything, you never see a stabbing. Mm -hmm. You never see a naked body. Mm -hmm. You never see, you know, penetration of the knife. None of that exists. Like mm-hmm. they break it down. And like a, one thing I, uh, uh, they, they talked about is they actually shot the stabbing in reverse. Like oh, wow. they, um, they put the knife up against, uh, well, they, they would, they're interviewed. Well, Janet Lee has passed a, a while ago. They did interview Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, uh, her daughter who people may know now she has done many movies as well. Um, <laughs> and, uh, oh man, I feel so bad. I can't remember her name, but her body double which mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I don't remember really either. there. Um, and she had said they would put the blade up against her stomach. And when they started uh, rolling, they would pull the knife away, uh, you know, really uh, viciously. And so they would just uh, play that film in reverse to make the forward stabbing motion. And mm. so um, it's, it's, it is, um, <laughs> I will say, uh, depending on how many horror films you've seen, especially slasher films and stuff like that, where um, things have gotten a lot more gratuitous and gory and stuff like that. The, um, the, the knife attack is, is a little tame by comparison now. Like it just, it looks almost like they're just like, woo, I've got a knife. Look at it. You know? Um, but it is like, it's, it's just, that's just one element of yeah. the horror scene though. Mm-hmm. Like screaming. Oh man. Uh, the, the close-ups the of her face. Close-ups, I mean, yes. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. And that seventy-eight fifty-two really studies like yeah. almost every shot in that scene yeah. too is pre- pretty wild. Seventy-eight. So it was um, the reason why it's called seventy-eight fifty-two is there's seventy-eight different cuts I think mm-hmm. in that scene alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to say there's fifty-two. I think want to say seconds maybe. Yeah, fifty-two seconds. Seventy-eight seconds camera total. cuts, yeah. fifty-two seconds, which yeah. is 
absurd. Yeah. Um, and that I want to say, uh, Janet Lee, she, yeah. So she filmed psycho for three weeks Mm -hmm. and one entire week of that was just the shower scene. They spent seven days of the film shooting just that one scene because it was so important to them and just some of the uh things they did to make that scene so realistic for the time and so terrifying um the uh the sound that the knife makes penetrating the flesh they actually did did uh something a little more different in terms of movie sound effects Mm -hmm. is they actually found a they they found a variety of melons and stabbed (laughs) all these different kind of melons and they found a cassava melon they said a cassava melon made the most realistic fleshy sound when they stabbed it um and then on top of that they also got a giant steak uh to stab the flesh as well to stab like the meat and to make it uh just more brutal sounding and apparently the sound editor got to take the steak home and <laughs> and, and eat it that night that's fun little oh god as well um <laughs> while we're talking about you know janet lee's death i feel like I mean, obviously, the the way it was shot is is the more the more impactful. But just another another great hit, another great uh, element of this film, another great so, somewhat of a twist was this the this murder of the who you thought was the protagonist this yeah. early into the film. Well, the uh, story had been following her mm-hmm. alone the entire time. Yeah, so you know, the, we're we're experiencing the story through her eyes. Yeah. And that so that jolt, that like kind of emotional jolt, but then also like the narrative jolt is something that I think Hitchcock that was really fascinating because, you know, the, one of the reasons you have a main character protagonist is to kind of carry the audience. You have it's like an anchor almost, you know. And, and yeah. um, I I love that 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 I don't know, just that was so interesting. And I know it's been done like I know in um recently in in Game of Thrones. I don't know. Did, have you seen Game of Thrones? I don't know. I'm, I'm never going to watch Game of Thrones. Okay. It's, it's okay. But Here's the I know, thing. I don't know if I recommend Sean it. Bean, something's yeah. going to happen. Exactly. He's, he's, Sean Bean doesn't survive things. I don't. Okay. Yeah. It's one of those shows that's so acclaimed, but I, I still don't know if I would ever recommend it. You know, I don't know. I'll, but I'll say, yeah, I'll, I'll I mean, I know this isn't really the topic at <laughs> the moment, no, it's okay. but I do. I do want to say that because I mean, I might have friends who I do have friends like who seem to be, I don't want to say baffled that I haven't watched Game of Thrones uh, yeah. and don't intend on doing it, but um, I w- I'll say this much: uh, I try to what we bring because I-, I will say this for as much stuff as you and I watched mm-hmm. just to cover the show. I watch a lot more things too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the, this this uh, pandemic time has really increased oh, yeah. my content mm-hmm. intake. Um, but the stuff that we choose to cover, um, I feel like there needs to be more than what we just see mm-hmm. to be able to talk. Totally, oh, yeah. Gosh, I, totally. I, I appreciate you understanding me, but I felt like yeah. I said that very poorly <laughs> there. Um, I, I think there's a, there is a deeper meaning. I mean, there's yeah. a deeper meaning in every art that, that is put forth. Um, and from what, from what I understand about my interactions with Game of Thrones, there's, there's just a few things I think this is helpful for all our listeners uh, as well and whatever this Mm -hmm. means to you. But as every piece of art has has messaging with it Mm -hmm. and um, you have to wade through things to get to that. Uh, And and if there are redemptive messages and something or something that is going to make 
the world a better place or something that helps you understand these deep, deeper ideas and stuff. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think everyone kind of has to ask themselves how, how deep am I willing to wade into somebody's version of a message about life? Mm -hmm. Um, how much, how much of their vision am I going to put up with to, to take that in, you know? Um, and Game of Thrones, I'm, I'm yeah. at this point in my life, I'm not willing to, mm -hmm. to, to, to go to those depths that yeah. my other friends have for totally. it. Yeah. Um, I, I can, I'm sure I can probably find those, find those, yeah. uh, theses on mm -hmm. life through, yeah. through other art. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah, no, the, and the only reason I bring it up is because they did a similar thing where they, you know, er, in the first season, they kill the probably the main protagonist, the most, the one you had most identified with and kind of, mm -hmm. uh, anch again, anchored yourself to. And so sure. when they did that, I kind of, it, it was, it was narratively really creative because it kind of expressed this idea of like, all bets are off. No one's safe. And and I know, you know, we're, we're, you know, we've talked about lost so many times, yeah. but even in lost, like the first episode, there was this idea of possibly killing off Jack Shepard, who was the main character at that, you know, in the pilot episode. And that was part of the pitch for yeah. Lost, which was I, doing it, which I'm glad they did it. But at the same time, it would have been such an interesting idea to kind of establish like, oh, who knows what's going on? You know, it's like no one is yeah. safe. Who knows what's going on? Right. So I, I really love that. Uh, so all that being said, I, I it's it's kind of playing with that formula like understanding the formula and then playing with it and i love that mm -hmm. hitchcock did that as well that you you kind of you're following her you're wondering is she going to decide to give this money back is she you know all these questions you have are just never answered because and she's killed there's <laughs> she's killed something yeah well you know there's something interesting about that because i um we say that it's not answered but in a way uh, from yeah. hitchcock it it is yeah. like because and, and I didn't know this because I never looked this deep into any of his other films, but mm. that seventy eight fifty two documentary is very enlightening in this, and that he had a really nihilistic view of the world, um, mm. which makes me sad. Um, yeah. But you know, you see that like they talked about the birds, uh, the mm. film he made. It's like there's never any explanation for why the birds attack people and the birds, mm. um, which yeah. I, I mean I gotta say, uh, as long as that's not all the content I'm getting, I really enjoy. Um, some sort of piece of terror or horror where there's no explanation. Like it's just pure chaos. Like there's yeah. no, cause there's more fear there because if you don't understand what's happening and why it's happening, then you don't know how to stop it. Um, yeah. We, uh, we just revisited uh, the Netflix uh, film, which is not as good as psycho, but it's okay. Uh, Bird, <laughs> Bird Box, um, the Sandra Bullock uh, Netflix film where you mm -hmm. know, have to be blind. So, and there's no explanation for the horror in that film either. It's just, mm. it's just already happening and people are trying to survive it. And um, <clears throat> with him, uh, with psycho, like she has actually decided, I think to take the money back or to not keep it. I was going to, yeah. And, then she dies. Yeah. Like, it's like, so she doesn't get to it. And I think the craziness of it all, the crazy sort of nihilistic approach of it all is that, um, you know, Norman goes to dispose of her body and clean up the bathroom and stuff. We are led to believe at this point that his mother is responsible for the murder. Mm -hmm. Um, and he is trying to cover the tracks, you know, for her. Um, and he doesn't know that mm. she stole money and he doesn't know that she's been hiding it like in a newspaper, but he's gathering all her belongings and just, and dumps her in a car that he puts into a swamp to sink it to the bottom of a 
sludgy. It almost looked like a tar pit, but it yeah, was yeah. Yeah, something like that. And uh, just just chucks the money in there too. Yep. Like, you know, you're you're a MacGuffin for this whole yeah. movie. It's at the bottom of a yeah. swamp now. Yeah. It's oh, it's man. meaningless. It's all yeah. pointless and meaningless. And mm-hmm. I feel like Hitchcock has a view of the world, had a view of the world like that to some extent of like, there's no purpose, but there's the, just tragedy is senseless and mm. meaningless and, and uh, things like that, which is, uh, which is sad to me, makes for a good movie, not yeah. for a good worldview, <laughs> but um, it's um, <clears throat> so, so yeah, it was very, very jarring at that point because at, at this point you just have to wonder like are they going to be found like mm-hmm. what's going to happen you know yeah um so let's talk about let's talk about all right, all right let me, let's just rip the band-aid off because surely i don't think it's ca- called a spoiler alert if it's a 60 year old movie yeah. um Nor- norman bates it's called psycho for a reason he has a psychotic mm-hmm. break and he is dressing up as his mother uh, to commit these murders, mm-hmm. uh, murders, plural. You see another one happen, um, later on in the film and, uh, met with that Bernard's, you know, shrieking Bernard Herman Q. Um, mm. the, the presence, like the, for go back to going back to the shower scene for a second, the presence of what we presume is Norman's mother there with like standing in the shadows and, um, the face like all blacked out and stuff. Fun fact, it's not actually Anthony Perkins in that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some stand in that day. It wasn't him in, in the scene doing the actual murder. Mm-hmm. So I guess, I guess we really can't pin that one on him, but um, <laughs> <clears throat> nevertheless, um, the, for, for both of those scenes, you don't see the face of the killer. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry for both those. There's another scene where a private detective comes out and um, tries to determine what happened to Janet Lee's character. He is also killed uh, by Norman in costume. And neither time do you actually see Norman's face. And so his like body energy in those scenes and like his posture and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's just so terrifying. And honestly, I'm a little more terrified the second time than I am the shower scene. And it may just be because I'm so used to seeing the shower scene in so many yeah, pop culture yeah. examples. But he, like, you are, um, when the private detective dies, he is, like, investigating the house. And it's all, of course, very quiet. There's no sense of, um, anticipation going on you know mm-hmm. and he's just slowly and carefully walking up the steps and all of a sudden the re, 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 you know yeah. noise happens and he doesn't run out of the room but he comes like out of this bedroom but he comes walking so fast and meets the guy at the top mm-hmm. of the stairs and like stabs him and like pushes him all the way down the stairs and yeah. um just the the uh there's something terrifying to me about <laughs> what looks like an old woman with really good speed um yeah. <laughs> kind, of, kind of coming out and 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 i think yeah part of that is the cost you know it was interesting that he that one felt was like more of a surprise because it happened so quickly it was like this shock this surprise well i feel like in the shower scene there's a little there's a, a little bit more of suspense than surprise because you see the door open you see yeah. a figure come in and it's that like it's not it's pretty quick but at the same time it's like w- wondering who that is what's going on there's you have more time to kind of question what's happening 
than that one where yeah she just i mean yeah she's so fast or he it happens yeah. yeah he's so fast comes out. i mean it's it's a oh man it's a brutal and the way i mean i mean and this is this is his you know his he's so great with cinematography but that where you kind of watch the, the man watch him the 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 private detective falling down the stairs but you just never yeah. you know you, oh you don't leave his face he's just you fall right it, it is it is uh oh man it's a a chilling murder and it's in its own way i know the shower scene is iconic for so many reasons but yeah even the sure. second death is is pretty heavy too mm-hmm. and he's even terrifying like he finally gets caught like yeah. he's about to try to kill yeah um oh gosh what's her name sorry but yeah, you know, know. So the, his, but, uh, or her sister right what's yeah i think name? it's her i think it's her sister um, but yeah, um, and she turns around in time. This is the first time we see him, his face mm-hmm. in the in the costume, and of course he's subdued um, by by her boyfriend or or whatever. Um, and even the look on his face when he's being subdued is like kind of just really creepy, like this mm-hmm. open mouth kind of like yeah. it's just ugh, man, it's it's mm-hmm. messed up. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it was, uh, you know, this is the highest grossing film of Hitchcock's career. Um, once things settle down in the film, they've got him uh, detained. And um, there's this really, it's interesting, there's this long monologue mm-hmm. at the end. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which just doesn't. It's the only part of the film I'm not sure how, I don't, I feel like it may have been necessary, but I don't. I don't know. Part of me, I'm torn. I feel like part of me, I feel like it could have just ended with the apprehension, but the need to explain it, it kind of takes away a little bit of it. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Well, Hitchcock hated it. Mm. Um, he didn't want it in there. He yeah. said, um, and, and critics alike also didn't like it. Um, he, he said that he felt that the scene was boring and the movie came to a grinding halt yeah. after that. Um, he felt it was unnecessary and like overly obvious. Um, but apparently that was a studio call. Like, um, which honestly that scene reeks of studio intervention. Mm -hmm. Um, it does feel like a studio. Yeah. Of like, we need to explain to people why (laughs) this is happening. Yeah. Uh, and stuff. It, it feels very much like a, (laughs) forgive me fellow film fans for comparing Alfred Hitchcock to Michael Bay, but um, it, it feels like one of those big budget Michael Bay summer um, blockbusters where there's some sort of international terrorist. And there's always that five minute scene within the first half hour of the movie where they have this expositional breakdown of what, <laughs> of what faction of the military that guy was in, but he was too hardcore for that faction and he mm-hmm. killed all his own men. And, and now he's, <laughs> he works with all these other terrorists and he's bad. He's bad news, man. You yeah. Know, I, I know I don't want to be around him and, and you know and there's that's great all these little bit of, yeah so yeah. it feels like a it felt felt like a hitchcockian yeah. version of that yeah um not obviously not as poorly written yeah. uh but it is like yeah overly expositional yeah. um yeah. i will say the, the only thing i liked about that whole last part was just i mean that that um uh norman bates that smile at the end that creepy yeah. smile well, on the camera 
Yeah, Man, Norman's so kind of inner monologue yes. as his mother, I thought was great. Yeah, uh, it was the, fantastic. The, the psych the psychiatrist talk was was, was a bit much, mm-hmm. but uh, man, it was almost like you're telling was, the audience what they just saw. Like this is yes, what happened. Exactly. And, and, and when you think about it in 1960, maybe that was necessary. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, but uh, because it was this film was groundbreaking for so many reasons. So there's a chance that. Mm-hmm. That was necessary to an extent. Uh, I'm not sure, but uh, oh man, yeah. So Norman Bates, our great villain, um, just again to throw another accolade on this, was actually uh, declared on AFI's 100 Years 100 Hero and Villains list as the second greatest villain of all time, wow. um, only behind. And this is kind of a cheat, but behind the Joker uh, in all its incarnations. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> um, I was like. Well, he's definitely better than Jared Leto's Joker. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, oh, so gosh. yeah, um, so there, so there's that um, with Psycho. It's, it's actually number fourteen on the AFI all-time list, Psycho, and it's actually number forty on the IMDb top two hundred and fifty. Okay. Um, so for a film to be that old and still be that high on the IMDb mm. top two. It's actually really, really good. Um, and currently, I say currently, or at least as of 2019, Psycho is the oldest movie to carry an R rating. Um, mm. Having been released, it was released eight years before the MPAA rating system was established in 1968. Um, yeah, so uh, we... Uh, Tim and I were talking about this in the beginning. I don't, I don't think we, I don't think we started talking about this when we started the episode, but that, um, for all the horror and, uh, and intrigue of the film, uh, Hitchcock didn't mean for it to be a horror film at first. (laughs) Um, so this is a quote, uh, according to Alfred Hitchcock, psycho was originally intended to be a comedy speaking with the TV program monitor in July, 1964, I once made a movie rather tongue-in-cheek called Psycho. The content was, I felt, rather amusing, and it was a big joke. I was horrified to find some people took it seriously. (laughs) It was intended to make people scream and yell and so forth, but no more than screaming and yelling on a switchback railway. You mustn't go too far because you want them to get off the railway with giggling with pleasure. But Psycho is more than just Hitchcock. It's also the actors and actresses involved, the iconic set pieces, the amazing set design and, and writing, the grisly history of Ed Gein, um, the shower scene itself. The whole movie is a phenomenon unto itself. This, sorry, this is commentary on, on that quote, um, <clears throat> that Psycho is so much more than, than just a thrill ride. Um, the whole movie is a phenomenon unto itself, whether or not Hitchcock meant it that way. The rest of the world didn't see it as some silly, dark comedy. And like it or not, this movie has taken on a life of its own, which is bigger yeah. than some little joke. Um, that quote, that entire quote, comes from the 7852 documentary. Um, but it's, um, yeah, um, it's kind of based on the history of Ed Gein, who has had, who was a notorious uh, killer, um, and he was uh, had actually multiple films, um, like like his his i his I'll say his ideas, but like his his films was inspired inspired by him. Um, so mm. that's, that's yeah. So I'm gonna try to look real quick for the site. So yeah. Um, psycho. So there's three iconic American cinema killers um, that were inspired by him: uh, Norman Bates from Psycho, Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and uh, Buffalo Bill from um, Silence of the Lambs. 
Um, so those were all inspired in some form or fashion by the uh, life mm-hmm. and times of Mr. Ed Gein. So, yeah. yeah, pretty wild stuff. Well, you can find Psycho. Um, I, I had to rent it uh, through Amazon yeah. Prime. <laughs> but it only costs like three ninety nine to rent because it's so old. So it's not particularly expensive and it's mm. uh, it's it's worth it. So uh, I'd, I'd give it a shot if I were you guys. Yeah, absolutely. I um, oh yeah. So when I rewatched it, it was actually Beth's first time seeing it, which was oh, really yeah. fun to encounter because she had she did not know. She only knew. I mean, you know the the what you know about Psycho, the shower scene, the yeah. music. That was about it. So it was really interesting to see it through like those eyes of not knowing the ending, not having that figured out. So so, so she didn't know that Norman mm. that it was Norman. No. Okay. So that was great. There was brief moments in the film where she'd be like, is that, wait, is, you know, but she'd wonder that, but then, you know, you'd hear conversations or you'd see him carry the body, right. which it was, it filmed at just an angle where you couldn't tell it was a, a well, skeleton. Say, that was <laughs> hidden so well, because yeah. I think in a, le- in a lesser movie, mm-hmm. um, in, in a lesser movie, I don't think you ever would have seen the body, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and that's the great the, the fact that um, you heard a voice mm-hmm. and you saw a body, yeah, um, you know, really did a lot to throw you off mm-hmm. uh, in that way. Yeah. So I think it's time to kind of delve into our companion piece here, our yeah. our uh, our, our French exchange student of a <laughs> hor- of a horror film, um, 1955's Diabolique. Um, directed by Henri Georges Clouseau. Um, this is uh, actually currently available on HBO Max mm-hmm. uh, as of very recently. So by the time you hear this episode, you should be able to see it there. Um, it was also previously available on the Criterion channel. It may still be there as well. Yeah, it's still there. Yeah. Um, um, IMDb uh, gave Diabolique an 8.0. Uh, the Also, the Rotten Tomato critic and users are pretty well within each other here. Critics have it as a 96%, users as a 93%, and the film is actually starring Clouseau's wife, uh, Vera, and uh, and Simone Cinere and uh, Paul Maurice. Uh, I do not know if I got yeah. those right at all, because they're <laughs> all French names, but there yeah. we go. Yeah, so uh, this starts off historically with Clouseau outbidding Hitchcock for yeah. this story. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and I, I, I feel like... Hitchcock was never the no, I'm just, no. <laughs> and he was never the same yeah. again. Started talking about his mom all the time. Yeah. Like that. It was weird. <laughs> yeah, so this oh man, this movie I, it's it's interesting because when I watched it I didn't really it wasn't really comparing or thinking about Hitchcock, but after watching Psycho and after just kind of reading more into it, I, I see there's so many similarities just as far as, you know, cinematography, the way he uses They both light. really love they, I was just going to say, they both really love to have camera shots on the eyes. Yes. Yeah. And um, and and, it's, and, it, and, it, and especially in these two films, there's so much the, the use of water. I would say more so in Diabolique. But, you know, uh, just the, the the way, you know, water's traditionally, you know, like cleansing, you know, purifying. But in, <laughs> in Psycho, you know, she's driving. She's being obstructed by water and then eventually you know she's killed in like this stream of water and then diabolique is just waters everywhere i mean just the sound of dripping water becomes you know normal again normally it's like quenching thirst it's like it's always uh, typically these positive 
motifs, but in, in it's these a films, rescue or a salvation. It's yeah, not a this combination. It's this. It's, it's they totally flip flip that, and and it's brilliant. And so yeah, so Diabolique, Diabolique. The I'm not sure how much. I guess we. It's one I feel like less people have seen in Psycho, so I'm afraid to spoil it. Maybe we can at least spoil the beginning. I'll say know. this much at least: there was a mid '90s remake of this film that was terrible. Um, don't <laughs> seek, seek that one out. Yes, seek out the black and white version, the 1955 version. Um, in case we need to say this for some listeners, it is French yes. subtitled, so yeah. um, just be prepared. Yeah. Don't. It's not the kind of movie you can watch while you do something else. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it is good. It is good. It's worth your worth your investment. I think it's yeah. just a shade under two hours. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's it's a good story. It yeah. is a yeah. It is just a fantastic story, and another. It, there's so much that like you can you can really compare a lot with these two films. But the the basic I'll just say the begin the basic gist is, uh, the 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 plot begins with a uh, husband and wife, um, a woman who this this is. Just I don't in a very abusive relationship with a husband who's just a horrible person. Uh, he also has a mistress who, and it's kind of like just kind of just common, like just known that this husband has a wife and a mistress. Like everybody knows this, and and the wife and mistress are ac- actually know each other as well, and they both are just tired of this 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 man, just what he's doing, and he's the headmaster of a school. Uh, <laughs> my well, my first thought in in discovering that this affair that was going on was just out in the open, I was like. How very European yeah. of all this. I feel like is this was like because this was like in the mid this is mid fifties France. Mm-hmm. Like I'm like, is this just commonplace there? Like, you know, the this is my wife and this is my mistress yeah. and, and, and they know each other and we're just all one big triangle. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I know uh, polyamorous relationships are getting more normalized, which you know, whatever, uh, but uh, that's not what this episode is about. But, um, then think about, think about how, how, uh, how scandalous it was to flush a toilet, yeah. you know, <laughs> and we're, we're sitting here talking about this and, and Diablo, which is five, five years earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. they're just out in the open with it and yeah. he's just terrible to both of them. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, yeah, it was weird. It was, yeah. it was a weird thing to get settled yep. in with at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> Yeah, it was, and so yeah, so it a lot, a couple of things we have are pretty surprising. But once, once you know that they, they're you know, it's kind of this common knowledge. They, the the wife and mistress decide they're they're so just tired of this, this guy. Just he's such a just a horrible abusive person, and so they both are like you know we gotta do something about this, and so they they make a plan to to kill him, and um, and this is all really early into the film, so I'm not giving anything away. Should we? Should we go? Should we go into it a little I bit? I think or? we just go. I think we just go. Listen, everybody, yeah. you know, feel free to pause the episode. <laughs> go yes, watch it on I HBO Max if you don't want to be spoiled. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be difficult for us to continue this conversation yeah. and its relations to Psycho mm-hmm. and stuff like that without mm-hmm. really just talking about it. And if you're a common listener of ours or a regular listener of ours, you know that we will tell you we're not going to spoil something, and we just do it anyway. So I yeah, mean, that's just, true. You know, you should know us by now. <laughs> yeah, I, I won't go too terribly much further, but they they uh, they're they're able to to their plan suppose you know goes off. Their plan works, and they they are able to hide him. You know, kind of transport him to the trunk of their car. I think in like a rug, right? It's been a little while since I've seen it in like a rug or a carpet. Um, and mm-hmm. they what and the the idea is actually pretty uh, clever in the sense they. 
they drive to the school that he is the headmaster of and it's uh winter i want to say or it's it's yeah i believe it's winter right uh, i'm trying to remember now i believe it's it's in either like fall or winter so when they get to the school they dump his body in the pool that's not being used there's algae on the top so you can't see anything underneath and they their thinking is okay he'll be down there for a while but in a few days his body will come to the surface people will see it be shocked mm -hmm. and they'll get away with this this murder um and a couple of days go by and nothing nothing happens and they you know the wife and mistress they're kind of freaking out they wait longer nothing still happens and they even eventually um the wife i think pretends to drop her keys in the pool you know and have they have someone go get it and he you know there i mean all of this is so so rich and suspenseful because he goes down and comes back up with the keys you know he didn't see anything and so right and like the whole time there's this seems to be this growing tension mm -hmm. uh, between the wife and the mistress yeah. too. Like the mistress mm -hmm. is just like, just let it play out. It'll play out. And the wife like continually has this guilty conscience. About yeah. It. And she's just like, no, like we need to get this thing done already. And she's yeah. like, why are you so, why are you in such a hurry? You know? Yeah. And yeah. So eventually enough of what they, they eventually get to where they drain the pool and the body is gone. And, that and so the rest of the film was kind of this this slowly snowball kind of rolling of the suspense of what happened to this person what is going on it's it and it's the way again the way they use uh water the way they use the like cinematography imagery shadows i mean it's just really beautiful really powerful and and looking back i mean it feels almost the way it's shot like something hitchcock you know hitchcock Hitchcockian. <laughs> yeah. It it's got that that similar vibe as far as suspense and um really cleverness, you know, the twist. I mean it's it's a lot of I will say, you know, this this film and, and Psycho, I feel like we're some of the really early films to have the these twists that sort of change the story completely. Or at least if not change the story, they they reveal a different story than what you thought going yeah. into it. And I which is just Amazing. And I know you mentioned uh, Hitchcock, you know, not having people um, like in theaters. They did not want anybody to be late. People had to be on time. Uh, Diabolique, actually, uh, Clouseau did the same thing with that film as well. He didn't want anybody to miss it. Uh, and there's the um, yeah, and there's a title card at the end of the credits of the film, too, that says, see it, be amazed by it, but be quiet about it. <laughs> um, which is to say, you know, no, no spoilers. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. It's, and yeah, and Diabolique, I mean, it's it it is one of those films, yeah. Once I mean, it's obviously has great rewatch value, but the the ending is one of those really early in cinema. And may I don't I've heard it's the first. I don't know if it actually is, but one of the first sort of surprise, surprise twist endings where at a time when nobody you know you weren't expecting that in a film, like there wasn't yeah. this expectation that we have now of when's this when are, when are things going to take this turn or this unexpected thing going to happen that in the past it just wasn't quite it wasn't quite on people's minds as it is now because of these mm -hmm. films you know it really kind of started that shocking you know shock ending twist ending so uh but yeah diablo oh man i yeah the one well, the one big difference though is yeah. music i know you mentioned i totally forgotten yeah no, no music score. 
I, no music I, in Zanabalik. I mean, it is in like the <laughs> opening scene, I think, when the credits are coming up and the opening scene of the film. But after that, like, mm-hmm. you know, the the score is iconic for Psycho. It's a it's it's almost another character in the film. Um, but here, there's nothing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will say the only obviously it doesn't care. It doesn't. Uh, it's not the same. But I will say one interesting thing to do to is the use again, like of the water dropping. Like they use certain. Um, elements like in na- or in their surroundings to really kind of amp up, really increase the tension. Obviously, not as much as like the the score from you know from Psycho, but there's yeah. some interesting uses um, of I guess the, you know elements around them that really mm-hmm. kind of heighten that suspense. But I I totally forgotten about that. There, yeah, there's no man, there's no score. And I found it to be interesting too. Like. Um... What's funny, I'll say this, if you if you were watching, if you choose to watch Diabolique um, and Psycho or the 7852 documentary, please watch Diabolique first, um, mm-hmm. because 7852 yeah. actually spoils Diabolique. Oh my <laughs> goodness, yeah. Um, um, what, but it, what's interesting about the twists in Diabolique is there are, d- depending on how deep you want to get into the conversation after the film... There's, I'd say there's multiple twists at the end of that film um, mm-hmm. because there's, yeah. they're, they're pretty subtle in their suggestion. It's not so much what they show you, but some of the things that are said mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the film that uh, really make you think like, whoa, like, am I, are we done here with these twists? Like, <laughs> what's, what's going on? Um, so, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty interesting film. Um, and, and, and some of the, uh, things as well just in ter- <laughs> man you know I-, I feel like film sets have probably come a long way like i was just sitting there i was listening to our episode from last week you know that the shining and stuff and talking about and thinking about how kubrick had really mistreated shelly duvall and, mm-hmm. and and other people and so you know the things that people the directors or other people do to actors to try to get performances out of them and stuff and um, apparently, which this is even dirtier because it's Clouseau and his wife. Um, but apparently, there's a scene early on in the film when you know um, the main character, the the man, the headmaster of the school, it, you know, he's continuing to demonstrate how terrible a man he is, and um, he you know sends the kids in the boarding school to bed without dinner because they're misbehaving mm, and stuff, yeah. and then he's trying to force his wife to eat this fish that's on set that's that's like cheap fish i think or something like that mm-hmm. i forget but it's it's bad fish and yeah apparently he actually served her rotten fish to get a genuine reaction from her uh in that scene oh because like gosh. she looks like she's gagging and trying and he's like i told you to swallow it like stop acting inappropriate at the table and all this other stuff and it's just ugh, it's yeah oh man pretty wild yeah um <clears throat> more loveliness from uh from Clouseau. uh apparently the mistress simone uh Signore had not read her contract closely before signing it and didn't realize she was only going to be paid for eight weeks regardless um the film went on for 16 weeks and uh he was only going to pay her for eight and so she protested but it didn't change anything um by the end of the shoot according to sh- uh to um Senor, Senore, uh her uh and the Clouseaus, both mm-hmm. Henri and Vera were no longer on speaking terms. Um and apparently the uh 
there were you know the 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 wicked headmaster that actor and uh and another actor who was next door filming another film were the only ones who made the shoot bearable bearable for her um <laughs> so that's that's uh upsetting just another wrinkle in the plot <laughs> these two conspiring against her it's just weird yeah so strange stuff man, oh, man. but it's uh it, it is an interesting that these films have an interesting relation to one another Mm -hmm. Uh, being only five years apart, this sort of professional rivalry between Mm -hmm. Clouseau and Hitchcock that really seemed to be, you know, I never heard, not that I knew much about Clouseau going into this episode anyways, Mm -hmm. but I never really heard much about Hitchcock and Clouseau having any animosity between each other, but the sort of pressure to outperform one another based on public opinion of their own art, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and how they kind of, inadvertently, I don't know, inadvertently or directly drove one another to do greater things, uh, which, mm. you know, in that sense is really cool. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And it let, and I, again, I don't know how it feels intentional. I don't know how intentional, but I, I kind of wonder how much, so I won't, obviously I'm, I'm going to try not to spoil the, the twist ending, but I will say the ending of Diabolique, there's so much similarity, but almost like in a reverse way, but so much similarity to um, Psycho's uh, shower scene. Um, they're both set in the bathroom, but it's almost like invert. It's almost totally, completely flipped um, in really fascinating ways. And I wonder how much of um, Hitchcock's decisions in, in, in Psycho were influenced in were thought of because of, directly because of Diabolique because there was just so much there that it's hard to not not think that there was some sort of inspiration and yeah I feel like there's got to be something to it but um, it's it's really fascinating to see you know two men at just two just really great suspense um, filmmakers I mean just doing what they do best I mean these two films are so great yeah yeah. I mean, really two guys at the top of their game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's there's plenty of other good stuff um, released from both of them. Um, but I, think, I find it so interesting that these are both, you know, I I, I don't know. I, I, I can't think uh, of anything else right now, but it's just hard to consider um, when two directors could both produce arguably their iconic work um as a result of one another you know mm-hmm. like it's uh it's very it's very this is a sports metaphor that'll probably not land well on all of you but it's very like magic johnson and larry bird like mm-hmm. yeah, having yeah. having both of them you know they're they're kind of iron sharpening iron one another with their art like like oh you do this well i'm going to do this even better you know and 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 they both have this career see sort of career defining works um as a res- almost as a response to each other you know um <laughs> and uh that's kind of cool you know and that, yeah. that that they could take that i'm calling it a professional rivalry but i mean you know it's, i don't know really know that it's that serious but um but to see those two and, and that's how they respond by, by just striving harder, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. that's a, that's a great, uh, it's a great example to follow. I'll say that, you know, instead of, you know, you look at sort of, you know, professional rivalries now and they tend to be a little bit uglier, uh, in other ways, but like, you know, instead 
why don't you just go out and try to outdo the other guy? Um, and then, uh, and then, you know, the, the public wins, uh, in that situation. Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah, absolutely. Just to recap psycho, not really available for streaming right now, but Mm. it's cheap enough that it's worth the investment. Um, and if you want to actually spend a little more money, um, I know we're past Amazon prime days now at this point, but, um, Amazon has a couple of Alfred Hitchcock collections on Blu-ray and DVD. There was one, it's probably like in the $50 range, which seems, you know, could be a bit much, but it's got all those heavy hitters on it. It's got psycho Mm -hmm. North by Northwest vertigo and the birds, I think all in one package. Um, so it's a, it's, it's a, it's a pretty reasonable deal um, for that. But yeah, if you're just looking for um, Psycho, you can certainly rent that through Amazon or um, some other or iTunes or some other streaming mm-hmm. service. Um, again, Diabolique's on HBO Max and Criterion Channel. So if either you have access to either of those, by all means do that. Uh, and 7852 is on Hulu right now, which is a great breakdown of the shower scene. Um, and hearing other directors, even people like Eli Roth and um, some other horror directors, like uh, talk about its influence on them and stuff. And yeah, like when, yeah. When they first watched Psycho and stuff like that, it's, it's fun. It's fun to see other professionals comp- complement it. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. you get you kind of unique perspectives that way. It's it's pretty interesting. Elijah Wood is in it for some reason, though I don't really know why. <laughs> it just seems like he must have been hanging out with one of the guys who had to be on it. <laughs> Because there's this couch of three guys, and Elijah Wood is the only one I recognize out of the three, and he's yeah. the one who says the least, the entire time. It's it's kind of it's kind of weird. It's like, um, yeah. um, shoot, I had it. No, I was going to say it, but like it's, yeah, it's just strange. It's yeah, it's almost like the other two had that. You know, they were they were scheduled to do that, and they just couldn't shake Elijah. Like they were gonna do, they did lunch with him beforehand and couldn't shake him. Like. Hey, okay, yeah. we're gonna go do this diamond. And Elijah was like, "Oh, cool. Okay, sounds great. Let's go." You know, and like they didn't have the heart to tell him, "No, you need to." It reminds me of a time <laughs> that the Foo Fighters were playing on SNL, and Jim Carrey just happened to be there, like, and he just jumped on the stage and started dancing around with them, and then jumped off. Like, oh it, gosh, yeah. <laughs> I don't even think he was hosting that week. He just happened to yeah. be there, and they just showed up. I'm like, oh, Jim Carrey's here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm do a Jim Carrey thing around all this before he started playing Joe Biden and stuff yeah. like that. But like it was, uh, yeah, it was, it's weird. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> oh man. Well, uh, anything else, Tim, we want to, uh, cover for, uh, for mother boy 60. You know, I don't, I'm trying to think of anything else I've been thinking about. This is one of those, like, I feel like psycho is just one of those sh- films we could probably spend like multiple episodes talking about i mean there's so much yeah. but i i'm trying to think of all the stuff i wanted to mention i think that might be it um there was there was one thing i didn't talk about i will just toss it back in there though yeah. um about um about janet lee's character mm-hmm. is that uh, i almost said vivian lee and i was like wait a minute uh, no that's gone with the wind never mind um <laughs> she was not murdered in the shower um Oh, two two things I want to say. Uh, one is that um, his use of color in her wardrobe mm. throughout the movie. Um, the film opens with her like in bed with her her lover, um, and she's wearing sort of like you know like white 
lingerie of some kind and and the film is almost using that to sort of project the sort of naivety about her and and innocence uh although never mind um but you know she hasn't stolen any money yet i'll say that um so but once she does that the next time you see her she's like she's wearing black Mm -hmm. um and she's you know wearing darker colors um so you know that was you know this sort of intentional look um to kind of to depict her kind of corruption uh yeah in a way and uh by the way it says janet lee wasn't bothered um by the filming of the shower scene but once she saw the film it bothered her so much she didn't take showers anymore (laughs) um and on that note um i had to wait until we were done talking about diabolique but um uh to get to this i'm trying to look in our notes for it because it was one of my favorite favorite little quotes after this movie's release sir alfred hitchcock received an angry letter from the father of a girl who refused to have a bath after seeing diabolique and now refused to have a shower after seeing psycho um hitchcock sent a note back simply saying send her to the dry cleaners oh that's great um (laughs) so i guess jaws jaws is not the only film to terrify people from the water um there was an interesting t- thing too. I'm sorry that there, there's, I guess yeah, there are a couple okay. of things that I forgot to bring up. I just skipped right over them with, uh, with all the prep work tonight. Um, but, um, Francois Truffaut, um, who was a fan of psycho, uh, in an interview he did with Hitchcock commented that the scenes with the sheriff, uh, they, there's a scene where they talk to the police, like in front of, uh, front of the church, I think it is, mm-hmm. um, before they send the private investigator out. Um, he said those scenes were let down and Hitchcock replied, the sheriff's intervention comes under the heading of what we discussed many times before. Why didn't they go to the police? You know, talking about the sister and Mm. and the boyfriend. Um, I've always replied, they don't go to the police because it's dull. Here's a perfect example of what happens when they go to the police. (laughs) So he Mm. had that scene where, and I can't, I wish I could remember the dialogue in that scene, but like they do go to the police and they're like, Oh no. Well, if she's not there, then she like they, they don't. I wouldn't say they blow her off, but they clearly don't think that anything's up. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, and they, it, but it is in that scene. I think when the investigator maybe goes back, where they reveal like, hey, mm-hmm. um, the mother has been dead for a decade. You know, <laughs> like so. I don't know who you think you saw, <laughs> and then all of a sudden they're like, uh, what? <laughs> and that's like one of your first like what moments in the in the mm-hmm. film uh, before discovering what's really happening but um so yeah some some interesting um side um side stories here uh yeah. to psycho and in the, the making of it so that's awesome the um also the shower like the shower head itself they had to consider not getting the camera wet because of the angles they were using in the oh, shower yeah. shooting the shower coming right at the camera mm-hmm. uh, so they had a six foot diameter shower head made up and they blocked the central jet so that the water sprayed in a cone past the camera lens uh for that um which i think they talk more about the construction of those sorts of things in the 7852 uh documentary mm-hmm. as well but yeah so it's uh, yeah i mean just just so many levels of quality things that yeah. were considered and executed for both of these films uh 
pretty wild stuff. But um, I suppose, Tim, I guess, I mean, I guess that'll do it for tonight, you think? I think so. I think so. Cool. Definitely, if you haven't seen Psycho, which I feel like most people probably have, but both of these films, I mean, are just phenomenal in their own way. Um, and I feel like great, I you know, I hadn't thought until the last couple of years about Diabolique being a great sort of Halloween, you know, film uh, around Halloween, you know, that sort of vibe, you know, that sort of kind of chilling, yeah. almost spooky, but, you know, well, that suspense. Yeah, it's not it's, really a monster, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. of any kind. So it's it's deceptive in yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I think it works really um, well. So, yeah, both, both are just phenomenal. Oh, and one last PS, uh, chocolate syrup. They used chocolate syrup to be yes. blood in the shower um, because of the black and white. And so it was darker and it was able to yeah. uh, pop, pop a little bit more. Which, again, what a great just, you know, the, the, the image of the, you know, the white bathroom and the blood. Yeah. Um, and, and again, just, you know, I feel like it's something that just uncharted territory in the past. You know, bathrooms typically are these kind of private, safe spaces. Right. Like both in Diabolique and in this one, it's it's the place where things happen. But then also in Psycho, it's like. You know, it's, it's wh- very white, very brightly lit, like things that you would normally not associate with, like murders well, and, and, who, and killings. Who, who out there as a parent doesn't view their bathroom as a safe space? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. <laughs> to, oh, gosh. To, yes. to escape the horrors of the world. Um, <laughs> you know, so. They just yeah. redo Psycho with kids coming in asking all right. sorts of incessant so, questions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> with, with the soundtrack and everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, real quick, going back to the, all the things you think you're seeing, but you're not seeing. Yeah. Like the mm-hmm. chocolate syrup. Like it's not even, you know, if you were to see that in color, like it's not, right. you're not seeing blood. Mm. You're not seeing blood. You're not seeing stabbing. You're not seeing nudity. You're not seeing any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's this immensely provocative scene. Uh, it's just so expertly crafted to make yeah. you think you're seeing something that you're not really seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah. terrifying. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you, Mr. Hitchcock, and Mr. Clouseau for your contributions to uh, so many people's nightmares and uh, <laughs> <laughs> for, for an episode that we could discuss tonight. So um, join us again next week. Uh, our, our, engagement is growing on social media um we're getting more followers all the time on instagram night cheese with steven and tim um night cheese podcast with steven and tim on facebook and pod night cheese on twitter um feel free to reach out to us uh let us know if you're um interested in hearing about any films in particular keep joining us for the rest of the month we uh for for more horror films through the month of october and we have a uh we have a clever idea, I think, for the beginning of November. Um, we still have to work on, so keep uh, tuning tuning in with us for that. Yeah. Uh, just just before our uh, our our biggest um, horror film coming up, the 2020 election, um, we'll be bringing you something special before that <laughs> as well. So, uh, thanks for joining us this week, and uh, we hope to see you again next week. And until then, keep working on your night cheese. It was like, oh no, I can't go there. Never mind. Was like, that, that one time Obama made fun of Trump, and um, Trump was like, all right, I gotta, you know, I can't let this go. No, no. <laughs>
so psycho no i'm just kidding i'm cut that out but um yeah and it's funny that'll I, be our post credit yeah right uh, for this episode <laughs> 